The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to P.I.'s Declassified, an inside look at the world of private investigators. Your host is Francie Kaler, a noted private investigator. Francie and her guests take you behind the scenes and into the genuine, sometimes gritty business of investigation. You'll hear stories from the trenches with plenty of surprises. Here's your host, Francie Kaler. Good morning. Lisa Reed is my guest this morning. She's a licensed private investigator from Flemington, New Jersey, and she has an amazing story. But first, let me tell you about Lisa, uh, because uh, she's got an interesting background. After 25 years in law enforcement, she became a private investigator and founded LSR Investigations. And Lisa's background includes... Uh, Being a detective in the sex crimes unit, she was a deputy commander for the narcotics task force, and she was a police academy sergeant. She was also recognized with numerous commendations concerning her contributions to children while she was with the department, and all of these positions gave her really valuable experiences that are easily transferable to to us out here in the private sector. She is so proficient at what she does. Since becoming a PI, she was also awarded the Investigator of the Year Award for her dedication and her commitment to the New Jersey Association of Licensed Investigators. So she's a member of the Pennsylvania Association of Licensed Investigators, National Association of Licensed Investigators, and an international PI association called IntelNet. And, of course, she's a member of law enforcement trade associations. She couldn't leave that behind, right? So Lisa never... (laughs) <laughs> yeah, never. And welcome, Lisa. Thank you for being on the show today. Well, thank Lisa, you so much. Never it's an honor that you asked me. Oh, well, this is a great uh, and in such an interesting case you got yourself involved in. You just never imagined when you were contacted by this guy named, I think, Ian, somebody or other, you'll talk about him, uh, that he was a fugitive and one of America's most wanted. And not only was a fugitive, he was wanted for bilking the U.S. Department of Defense out of millions of dollars in defense contracts. Amazing, Lisa. Take, a, start, take us through your case. Just take us through it step by step because it's so fascinating. Okay. Well, first of all, as I said, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Um, in 2008, I received an email from an individual who said his name was Ian Black, and he was looking to locate a friend of his uh, from Perth Amboy, New Jersey. Mm-hmm. And I responded to the email and said, yes, I can certainly help you. The, you know, we all get these emails from potential clients. And we started emailing each other. He indicated what he was looking for. Um, I explained to him that I could certainly help him find this individual, but that I could not just give him the individual's information if I was to locate the subject. 
uh, that I would need to confirm with the subject that it was okay to provide that information to him. Once he agreed, and that's because of the, and that's Lisa because of privacy concerns on your part. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I had no okay. idea who the client was. I had no idea, you know, really why he wanted to contact the subject. Uh, and I wasn't going to open the, the subject up to being contacted by somebody that he didn't wish to be contacted by. Sure. So um, I proceeded to take the work from him. I started looking for the individual and I couldn't find him for a while. So I was having contact back and forth through email. Um, Ian Black, as he had identified himself, said he was traveling out. He was out of the country. Uh, I could never call him. He could only call me because of where he was traveling. And every once in a while, he would give me a call and ask me if for any updates. And then mm-hmm. he um, asked me if I would take on another job. And I said, sure, it depends on what it was. And he, he gave me this whole thing about finding a car uh, not the car itself, I'm sorry. He had a car, a friend of his had a car that had been uh, stolen from Mexico. And mm-hmm. the docu- the car was retrieved, was returned, but the documents were gone, and he needed a new title for the car. And he always referred to his friend. My friend needs this, my friend needs that. My friend knew that I was dealing with a, a private investigator and thought maybe you could help him. So I had, you know, I said to him, so we're just simply talking about retrieving a, you know, getting a duplicate copy and mailing it to to your friend. He's like, absolutely. I said, okay, well, provide me with all of your friend's information and information on the vehicle. So he did that. And I continued to look for his his friend. His name was Chris. So I continued to look for his friend, Chris. So my brother happened okay, to be court. Okay, and tell, excuse me, Lisa. Tell me, tell me what you were doing. Were were you suspicious yet? Were you were you doing any due diligence? What was happening in the background? Well, I was suspicious right off the bat. And the reason okay. I was suspicious is he told me his name was Ian Black, and his email had the name Cook McQuilkin on it. Okay. And I could never call him, so he never gave me a phone number. Mm-hmm. And every time he called me, there was always delay in him speaking with me. There was like a 30-second a delay, like I, I wouldn't hear him. And the phone number that he would call from was one two three four five six seven eight. Mm-hmm. So I started to Google him. And I found, and he told me he was from Booton, New Jersey, but I found absolutely no Ian Black or no Cook McQuilkin from Booton, New Jersey. Right. So... You know, on one hand, I said, oh, and he sent me a money order. I had to go down the street to the Western Union and pick up the money for payment. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. with those things in mind, I said, okay, well, I'm not doing anything illegal. I'm locating somebody. He gave me permission to locate him, uh, to provide his information to the to the gentleman. His name was Chris, uh, to provide it to Chris if I should find Chris. Um, he also sent me a picture of himself. He said, when you find Chris, show him my picture. So that okay. in of itself is a little odd because why wouldn't Chris know Ian Black? Right. So with those yeah, things exactly. in mind, excuse me. That exactly. That that would be a weird thing. Right. So all those things in mind, it yes, it, it raised some red flags. But as I said, I couldn't find anything that told me I shouldn't be doing this. And as I said, it was okay. you know it was legal. It's what we do all the time. We we locate people. That's what we do in the PI world. Exactly. So. I went on um, 
I had uh, asked my brother, who happened to be a car salesman, I said to him, you know, does this sound odd to you about wanting the, the title? How come he can't just get it himself if it's his car? And my brother explained this whole thing about title jumping and said it's something that's done in the sales world all the time. Uh, and I asked if, you know, he could make a phone call for me talking salesman to salesman. You know, is it something now, that we Lisa, can get? Lisa, can you explain title jumping? Uh, not completely. Um, I did. I did ask my brother about it, and he said um, that it's a way to evade paying sales tax. So, if let's say I buy a car, I buy a car from you, and I mm-hmm. never put it into my name, so it continues to be under your name, Francie, mm-hmm. and then I then sell it to John. So it actually looks okay. like it went from Francie to John, even though I actually owned it. But I never okay. registered in my name. So I'm not paying sales okay. tax on that. I see. Okay. Does that make any sense? It may, yeah, that makes sense. I, um, it doesn't have anything to do with stolen cars, though, or... or no. Uh, no, not at all. Anything like that. Okay. Okay. No, it's just, I guess, car dealerships will do that so they don't have to pay the tax when they're buying a car from somebody. So this okay. car, because I had looked up the car, I looked up the VIN number that he had given me, the information on the car, and it came back to somebody else in New York. Mm-hmm. And did you ask him about that? No, because by that point – oh, no, no, yes, I did. I did ask him about that because he had – that's right, we did speak about that. I completely forgot about that. Um, I told you know, And I told him that there was a gentleman in New York that the car still seems to be registered to, and he said, well, maybe that gentleman – in New York, might have an extra title. Maybe I can get it from him. So it became a okay. whole big thing. It wasn't as simple as he had made it out to be. However, mm-hmm. by that time, I already knew who he was. Oh, okay. All right. So, so take uh, us, I'm sorry if take I'm making it confusing. To, to that. No, that's fine. So let's take us back, because I'm, I'm the one that interrupted you and got you sidetracked. So that's take okay. us back to, to your train of thought. So I had asked my brother if he could make a phone call to the salesman, to the the, the sales uh, the dealership in New York where the car was allegedly purchased. My brother called, got back to me, and said, you know, three things. One is um, Ian Black never saw, uh, bought a car. I'm sorry, Roger Day, because when he had given me the information, he gave me the information on the owner of the car as being Roger Day. Um, so he said, Roger Day never bought the car, somebody else bought the car. Secondly, the car was never shipped to Mexico, was shipped to Cal- uh, to Texas. And thirdly, you really Lisa, need let's, to know who- let's skip back, okay? Let's make the connection between Ian Black and Roger Day. Okay. When I had asked him, yes, I'm sorry. When I had asked him, because I know this so well, and I Yes, that. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. All right. So that's I said, to okay. him, yes, I could, I could find the car, the, the title for you. That's not a problem. You need to give me all the information on the vehicle and the owner of the vehicle because he said it was his friends. So he gave me the kind of car. It was a Hummer. He gave me the VIN number of the car, and he told me the owner was Roger Day. Okay. So I gave that information to my brother. Now, for whatever reason, I did not Google Roger Day at that point. Okay. I had already Googled Ian Black and Coke McQuilkin, but I never did Roger Day. All right. And I had my brother make the phone call to the dealership. My brother called back and said, Roger Day never bought the car, but you really need to know who you're dealing with. 
So I sat at my desk right after I hung up the phone for my brother, and my heart sunk because it was like immediate. Um, you knew that there was something not right here. So I looked mm-hmm. up Roger Day, and I actually found him, I think, on page two of Google. <laughs> and Yeah, he wasn't even on the clue. first. Excuse me? <laughs> so I okay. found him on page two under America's Most Wanted. There was a link there. I clicked on the link, and I looked at the picture <laughs> of Roger Day. And there was Ian Black. And there was Ian Black. <laughs> the same person, the same picture uh, that he had sent me to show, not the same picture, but a picture that showed the same person that I was supposed to show his friend Chris when I found Chris. Mm-hmm. So I just sat there looking at This America's Most Wanted. I read the whole article. Uh, I contacted a few people and said, what do I do? And then, okay, so, uh, so would you, so tell us what you found out when you well, read the article. I found out that he was, he was wanted by the Department of Defense. Uh-huh. And it went into the whole article about how he and his wife, um, several years before, had uh, done the same exact thing where they made these fake contracts with the Department of Defense. Under, they had contracts under other people's names to provide, okay. uh, parts to the Department of Defense. Okay. And the parts were to be used for for weapons, for our military's weapons. Hmm. So it was uh, they had they they wanted him for like I think at that point it was two point two million or four four point million dollars they're saying uh you know several years ago and he had he had actually been uh, arrested for that, him and his wife, and he had been arrested in Italy and was extradited back to the States, he and his wife both. Mm -hmm. And after he was released, he then started up this business again. Went to Mexico and faked his own death, saying that he had drowned. Okay. So the last that they knew, he was supposedly dead in Mexico. And what happened to his wife? His wife divorced him. She served her time. (laughs) (laughs) Um, She served. She actually gave birth to their child in prison. Mm. She served her time. She's out. She divorced him. I believe she still lives in New Jersey. Hmm. And he took back off for to Mexico when he was uh, finished with his uh, sentence here in New Jersey. Okay, Lisa, this is a good time for a break, okay? Okay. That was New Jersey private investigator Lisa Reed. We'll be right back after the break. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. 
It's the largest association of its kind in the world. Cali's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact Cali at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's Choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on P.I.'s Declassified. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. Lisa Reed, a private investigator, has been describing her very unusual case with her client, the fugitive. And I, Lisa, I was just telling you on the break, I can't imagine when you Googled Roger Day and came up with him being on America's Most Wanted and verifying that he was the person you were dealing with as Ian Black. I, I just can't imagine. My heart would have just stopped. <laughs> oh, mine did. Mine did. And then I started to panic thinking, you know, there's people outside watching me for whatever reason. Yeah. And it was like the oddest, the oddest feeling. Yeah. Okay. So, so so there you were. What what happened next? Well, then I started making some phone calls to uh, attorneys that I know because my concern was, okay, my client is a fugitive. But do we have the same standards as lawyers where we're not allowed to contact law enforcement? You know, was there any ethical issue that I had to deal with as as opposed as as far as the fact that I now had a client that was wanted by the Department of Defense. So, well, and we're I, all bound by confidentiality standards, right? Correct. Correct. So, so that our, was the in, other issue. By nature of our license, right. Right. So that's, that was my okay. main issue was, you know, what do I do here? Am I, do I report him or do I just not say anything? Mm-hmm. So I had several people. That, as I said, I, I, I happen to know a lot of lawyers, and um, some of there was some research done very quickly, and it was determined that because he represented himself as Ian Black to me, Ian Black right. was my client, not Roger Day. Mm-hmm. And he deceived me by telling me he was somebody that he wasn't. Right. So, there really was no more ethical issue there. There was no confidentiality. Yeah. So I was able to report him. So just, who did you go to? Well, who did it you just report so happened him to? that uh, a, a woman that worked with me, Megan, her father was a federal defense attorney. 
So he knew a lot of people, and he happened to know an investigator with the Department of Defense. Mm -hmm. And that's who the warrant was from. So he contacted the Department of Defense. He's like, let me make a phone call for you, and then you know we'll see where it goes from there. So he calls me back, and he says, I could have sworn a guy fell off his seat. And he's <laughs> waiting, for, he's waiting for your phone call. <laughs> so I called the investigator, and I explained who I was and you know what had been happening, and that I, I, my, my first comment to him was, I think I found your fugitive. So he then reported to his agency. They sent out two investigators, uh, two agents from the Department of Defense, who I think it was the next day came to my office in Flemington. Mm-hmm. And they sat down with me, and I explained everything that had been going on. I told them what I was supposed to be doing for uh, for Ian Black, and the newest project that he asked of me is, you know, finding the the title. And they asked at that point if I could just continue to have contact with him until they could decide what they were doing. So I said, sure. Mm-hmm. And I purchased a recorder from PI Gear from Jimmy Messis, and put it on my uh, phone. And every time he called, okay. I started recording. Let's just say where, let's just say where PI Gear comes from. That is, uh, Jimmy Messis, PI Magazine, is one of the sponsors of this show, and they also sell products that private investigators use under the PI Gear brand. Yes. Okay. So I started recording the conversations. And... In that time frame, I happened to find Chris. Now, what's really funny about it is Chris turns out to have been his cellmate in New Jersey. Hmm. Chris was was Roger Day's cellmate when they were in prison together. Okay. And so it was interesting, and it all made sense as to why he gave me a picture, because obviously Chris isn't going to know who Ian Black is, but he's going to know the picture of Roger Day. Right. And it turned out that Chris was in a rehab at the time, and I happened to get in touch with his girlfriend, and she calls me and says, you know, it's very interesting. She says, we were trying to figure out who does Chris know that has enough money that can hire a private investigator, and the only thing we could come Mm -hmm. up with was Roger Day, and I had Mm -hmm. to pretend like I had no idea what she was talking about. I said, well, I, I don't know. I just know that Ian... Black asked me to get in touch with you, and can I forward you his picture? And, you know, so she accepted the picture and said, oh, yeah, have him, you know, give him Chris's number or give him my number. And so I passed along the information. Now, obviously, he never found that out, that she had already told okay. me Roger Day. Uh-huh. So that's that's another interesting piece, I thought. Uh, and so he, you just you just called her cold and said... Hi, I'm a private investigator. I'm um, trying to find Chris, and it went on from there. Yes, what I had done was I had actually, through all the databases that we have, I was looking up Chris and all of his information, and I wound up calling all of his family members. Anybody that showed up as being associated or a family member or contact, anything with Chris, I was calling and somebody mm-hmm. forwarded my information to his girlfriend, and his girlfriend then called me. Okay, okay. And said, I understand you're looking for Chris. Can you tell me why? And I explained who I was and what I was doing. 
And then I forwarded the picture, and she called me back and said, yep, we know who he is. You can give him uh, Chris's hmm. information. Okay. But as I said, I thought it was very funny that she said to me, the only person we know that had money to pro- hire a private investigator was Roger Day. And I was like, oh, well, I don't <laughs> no, know that who that is, but... Yeah. So, now, uh, let's let's go back. You you said you bought a tape recorder and you started recording the calls. Um, in in New Jersey, you are considered a one-party state. Correct. Is that correct? Correct. Okay, because I'm the reason I'm making a clarification is in California, you can't tape record a phone call without having the other person's permission. Yes. So in, in New, New Jersey, Jersey that isn't can. the case. Yeah. Yes. And and of course, now you're an agent of the government. <laughs> <laughs> well, technically, <laughs> I guess. Yes, uh, they they did have me sign a um, uh, informant. So I was now an informant, a confidential informant, <laughs> which was okay. very odd. Yeah. yeah. So right. and they, you know, initially they didn't know that I had purchased the the recorder. I had done that on my own because it just felt like it was the thing that I should be doing, and so right. that's what I did. And then I forwarded. You know, they never told me to to do the recordings. Okay, so, so you could, so you continued to communicate with Ian, aka Roger. Yes, yes, he was actually contacting me now on a regular basis, all hours of the day, holidays, oh. and I always knew when he would call because it would always have that one, two, three, four number. Uh, it was just a very mm-hmm. odd phone number, and it turned out it was because he was using the uh, voiceover on his computer. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So he never really used a phone. He used his computer. Okay. And I started asking him lots of questions. You know, oh, where are you now? What are you seeing now? Your life is so interesting to get him to talk so I could continue to get more information about his whereabouts, hoping that I would be able to contact the Department of Defense and say, okay, you know, this is where he's at right now. Go get him so that okay. I could be done. That did not happen. So I continued for, what, from February this started, and it was in July. So however many months that is is how long I continued to have contact with him. Amazing. Yes. And did you, and what happened with get, trying to get the title of the car? Uh, we never got it, and he wanted me to send a letter to eBay about the purchase of the car that the the. The gentleman that sold him the car sold it to him fraudulently, which was pretty funny because he was all been out of shape about that. So I actually did write a letter for him for for eBay. I sent it to him. He approved it. I sent it over to eBay, uh, and they just said that they would take a look into it, but that this purchase was legitimate. Then he asked me to do another job for him to locate another title for him in Arizona. And the title uh-huh. of that car, interestingly, belonged to one of his co-defendants that had just been sentenced. Okay. So that was interesting. I passed that along to the to the Department of Defense, and they, you know, asked me to continue to have contact with him. I told him that my girlfriend's wanted to go somewhere on vacation. What did he, you know, did could he recommend a place? And he wound up offering me his place in Mexico. Okay. So then it was agreed that I would go to Mexico and meet with him, and it was supposed to be a group of girls going. And the Department of Defense kept putting it off and saying we couldn't do it, 
we can't do it this weekend, we can't do it next week, we can't, you know, you got to reschedule it. So I kept rescheduling, and I told him that all of my girlfriends dropped out and that it was just going to be me if that was all right with him. And he then wound up asking me if it was, since it was just going to be me, if I would meet him on the border between Texas and Mexico. Okay. And he would hand me gold. And I would then go into Texas and mail it for him. And then I would turn around and go back to meet him, and then he and I would drive from Nuevo uh, Laredo to, uh, to Cancun, where I would spend the week there. And okay. by the way, I told him I was single, that I was divorced, etc. Which, of course, isn't true. No, it's not. <laughs> but, okay. All right. Lisa, let's take another break. We'll be right back. This is so exciting. We'll be right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call one 800 350 C-A-L-I. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on P.I.'s Declassified. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to PI's Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1 866 472 5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. In case you were listening to the show and you were cut all of a sudden cut off or you heard something weird, it was because there was a power shortage in Phoenix, and we lost the connection. So um, we're back. You're listening to licensed private investigator Lisa Reed. Tell her story of her client, a wanted fugitive. Lisa, tell us more. (laughs) Tell us more about this very weird combination of stories you have here. Okay, so I think I left off where he had asked me to uh, bring gold back for him across the border. Correct. So the Department of Defense was very excited about that because they felt that uh, they might recoup some of their money. And Uh then I didn't hear from him for about three weeks. And, of course, I panicked, thinking I had sent him the uh, email that I was actually sending to the Department of Defense, that I sent it to him by accident, and, you know, the gig was up. And then all of a sudden he calls me, and it turned out he had been in a motorcycle accident. 
And so he had been laid up for over three weeks and changed his mind. He's not doing the gold, but I can still come and visit him, which was what we decided that I was going to do. So I uh, went on July 30th, excuse me, July 31st of 2008. I traveled with one of the agents from the Department of Defense. We went to Mexico, uh, got to the Cancun airport. I was given, you know, my orders, basically. If he walked up to me, what do I do? If he sent somebody in his place, what do I do? If he drove up to, I don't know if anybody's familiar with the Cancun airport, but you can only drive up to the front by the circle. You know, what do I do if he Mm -hmm. drives up and, you know, waves me over? So they would give me all these scenarios and tell me, basically, no, he's not going to get within five feet of you. Now, they had the two, they had two agents from the, from the Department of Defense. Actually, they had three agents. They had the female that, that went with me, but then she went away from me and went to one of the male agents to make it look like they were a couple sitting at the outside uh, table area that you can sit at when you come out of the airport. And mm-hmm. I was there by myself at the tables, uh, ordered myself a sangria and waited. Were you worried? Lisa, were you concerned? I was very nervous. Yeah. I was, I was very, very nervous. Um, and it's interesting because he, he had told me that there was a chance he would not make it. And I spoke with him, I think, the night before or two nights before I was supposed to fly out. And I'm like, you have to come in. You know, you have to be there. I, I want to see you. I don't want to go with anybody else. I've never been out of the country. And... You know, he even said oh, to me at one good. point, he's like, he says, yeah, he says, I don't get it. He's like, you were a cop. You carry a gun with you. And I said, yeah, but, you know, I'm not going to have a gun. I've never been out of the country, and I'm just so nervous, and you have to be there. And he's like, I'll do my best to make sure that I'm there. Okay. And then he was like a half an hour late. So, okay, he's not going to be there. And I'm watching out the road to see if he drives up. And next thing I know, I hear him behind me. And he just says, hey, Lise, and, you know, the voice, I knew the voice, obviously, automatically, and I turn around, and I was like, oh, Ian, and I go to shake his hand, and he pulls me in and gives me a a hug and a kiss on my cheek. And then he starts explaining why he was late, and he starts to walk off with my baggage, and he has this other woman with him. So she starts carrying my, you know, she carries one bag, and uh, we start walking away. And I'm like, oh, you know, do you mind if I finish my drink? I'm I'm a little nervous here. I've never done this before. (laughs) And, um... Wow. I see the Department of Defense guy, uh, the, the the one gentleman, uh, he stands up and he's talking on his phone. And I knew, you know, instinctively that he was calling the federales because they did not notify the Mexican police. They notified mm-hmm. the federales. Right, because they were concerned about the Mexican police compromising the case. Exactly. And so the Mexican police, okay. although they were parked right out there, never knew what we were doing. So the federales walk over, uh, these three, gen- these three um, federale officers, and they walk over to him while I'm talking to him, and, they, and one of them says, are you Roger Day? And he says yes, and then they tell him he's under arrest, and he basically starts fighting them, and they go down on the ground, and they cuff him. And he, you know, and I'm just standing there, and he walks past me and says, you got me, Lise. And... I just so he knew right away that that you were that you set him up. Yes. Yeah, I mean he had to have. Yeah, and did that bother you? Yes, very much so. Very much so. I I started crying. Um, 
in in fact, I, I reacted in a way I, I did not expect. I mean, I just never expected to have the reaction I did. And um, it stayed with me for probably a good month or two where I just was very upset. And the, and you were upset probably from a lot of levels. You had established a relationship with this person. You'd had a lot of conversations with him over five or so months. And then you were in you were involved in setting him up, which was very highly emotional and concerned for your safety. Yes. Yes. In fact, my son, um, my son, uh, well, how many years ago was this? This was five years ago already. So my son is 21 now. He was 16, I think, at the time. And, you know, he got very upset. He, he got very upset that I was going because, you know, we've all heard what happens in Mexico and that it's, it's mm-hmm. not the safest place to be. Uh, he was very upset that I was going. My husband was upset that, you know, I kept being on the phone with some man acting like I was interested in him. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, what's interesting is the day before. It's just the on, job, honey. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I'm like, I'm sorry, sweetheart. Oh yeah, what did you what did you say, Ian? Oh yeah, I'm just I can't wait to see you too. <laughs> you know, it just it was not a great situation. Um, and the day before I went, I went on the 31st, July 31st, July 30th. I actually gave my husband a party. We had 150 people at our house. <laughs> and yeah, and the next morning at 5 o'clock in the morning, I'm up and, and heading to the airport. It was a very, very, very stressful time. <laughs> to meet with another man. <laughs> to meet with another man, yes. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Well, okay, yeah, was, so so he, as he walked off, he actually says, you got me, Lise. You got, you, you got me, Lise. Yeah. Short for Lisa. And yeah. Then, yeah. And then um, did you have to testify? I did. Um, it took them two years to extradite him. Hmm. And nobody was in touch with me, and nobody was telling me what was going on. And I even hired a private investigator myself from Mexico to try to confirm that he was still in Mexico because right. I was worried. I was nervous. Um, right. And then, you know, they finally, yes, he's still in Mexico. Yes, we have these hearings. You know, so it was the information coming to me was very, very slow and very far apart. And and nobody it, from Department of Justice, Department of Defense, is in contact with you. None of the investigators, not the U.S. Attorney. Nobody's in contact with you. Well, the one investigator, the one agent um, who who was my carrier, if you will, or my handler. I'm sorry, my handler. Uh-huh. I don't know if you're familiar with that term. When you have somebody as a confidential informant, you know, you're considered the handler. Uh, right. She, you know, she and I would be in touch with each other. She was, she was the only one that was really ever in touch with me. And, you know, I had actually thought that we had a friendship and, you know, it was very obvious to me it wasn't a friendship. It was, you know, I was her informant. And so she would be in touch with me once in a while. But I would never get any information, you know, just, hey, how you doing? Good yourself. Okay, things are going along. We'll let you know. And then that would be it. Uh, and then, like I said, two years later, he was extradited uh, and went to a federal... Finally. Fis- Excuse me? Finally. Yes, extradited. finally, December of 2010, he was extradited. Mm-hmm. And then I testified in federal court in Virginia in, I believe it was August of 2011. 
And now, that's something, the only- something, yeah, something pretty odd happened with you and the judge when you testified. Can you talk about that? Yes. Um, I was testifying. It was the first time I've seen Ian. Obviously, I was very nervous being there. Uh, and then the judge starts asking me questions. The judge asks me, who was, my, you know, did did, Ian, did he pay me? Did Roger Day pay me? And I said, yes, technically he did pay me for the, the two jobs I did. Uh, did you give him his money back? He wanted to know why I didn't give him his money back. Why was I following direction from the Department of Defense, not from my client? And I was I was shocked. I was absolutely shocked. And then when I left, I was talking to some other people I know that are attorneys, and I told, told them what happened. And they said, because the, the prosecution only asked me one question. Uh, no, the defense, the defense for him only asked me one question. And I don't remember what the question was, but it was a minor, minor question. And they said, because the uh-huh. judge did their work for them, you know, put their case out for them, for the defense. But it was very uh-huh. odd. I was, I was very taken back. So he's so he's challenging your ethics is what he's doing. Absolutely. Challenging your ethics like like you had broken the confidentiality that you talked about earlier. Right. And it, and I explained that to him. I it's exactly what I said to him. I said I had no no allegiance to Ian Black or to Roger Day and because he, he wasn't he, Roger Day. He was Ian he, Black. And he even asked you if you'd given his money back. Yes, he did. And he asked if I got paid by the by the Department of Defense. Mm-hmm. So now, it was very um, very surprising. He was sentenced. Is he that was correct. And what? Where is he now? Um, I forgot what prison. He's in a federal prison. He received 111 uh-huh. years. And I don't remember what prison he went to. That's fine. So, so something happened afterwards. You never had any contact from anybody following the case. No, you you did you didn't receive. Thank you very much. You helped us convict a guy we've been after for years. No, you didn't get a letter. You didn't get a call. You didn't get anything. No, and in fact, there was an article. The agent sent me an article about after the case, and I'm never mentioned. I've never mentioned that with the assistance, not even, not even that, you know, my name. I didn't even care about my name, but just the fact that a private investigator helped do this because mm-hmm. I was thinking that this was fantastic um, press for private investigators to show that we are professional right? and that we do more than just uh, find people that are cheating. And there was nothing mentioned, nothing. And the two, and the two agents got an award. From my understanding, they they did receive an award. That must have been very discouraging, Lisa. It's it's unfortunate, really. And you know, I and I have to apologize. I due to the power shortage, we are out of time. That's fine. Um, and I really wanted to talk about this much more than we have, but uh, we have to close. Uh, thank you so much, Lisa. Guests for our upcoming weeks will be Maryland PI Lynn Levy at PI's Haunting Inner Conflicts, California PI Dr. William Schneed, the Santana Shooter Speaks Out, and California PI Wendy Bignall, process serving Catch Me If You Can. So tune in again next week as we declassify more real stories. 
from Real Investigators. It's PIC Classified. I'm Francie Kaler. Thanks for listening. And thanks so much, Lisa. And thanks for putting up with us today. Thank you. It was an honor to be asked to be on here. I appreciate it. All right. We'll do it again. We'll do Take it again. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You've been listening to PIs Declassified with your host, Francie Kaler. Tune in every Thursday at noon Eastern time. That's 9 a.m. for you West Coast listeners. PIs Declassified explores stories of deceit, mystery, and detectives unraveling the truth. Every Thursday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific time here on the Voice America Variety Channel. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on P.I.'s Declassified. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.